Yes, that's my name. There is an ice cream man or lady that I'm going to have to declare war on that parks in the apartment complex that's very near my house and backyard and lingers there for hour, sometimes two hours, with the ice cream dinner bell playing. The normal ice cream jingle music that we all, you know, we're all used to and know and love. They never go into a different neighborhood. At least it never seems like it, and this is five days out of the week that this happens. And they're just parked in the same place. I guess they're selling ice cream. Could be a front for something. I'm skeptical. I've never actually approached them and bought ice cream. Maybe I should check it out. So, second episode. Hard at work. Certainly gonna try to amplify public taste and not just showcase my own tastes. But I want to go ahead and amplify something right now. was Bankrupt in the Borrowers. I recorded that years back in San Marcos, and I first met Gene Griffin, and back then he was the manager and promoter of Bankrupt in the Borrowers, a guy that's now a friend and someone who's really helped me connect with people in this local music scene, and that's someone I intend to have on the show in the future, absolutely. But John Pettis, their friend, bandmate, and horn player, was killed in an accident, his life and memory is very important and seriously celebrated with the Bankrupt guys and everyone who knew John Pettis. And Bankrupt went on, joining others to become East Cameron Folk Corps. They've been doing big things and are a seriously hardworking band. They will show up on this show sometime down the road, again, very hard to ignore group and what they're doing. Folk Corps is releasing a new full-length album, Kingdom of Fear, on April 7th. And to even add more to that, I need to talk about this documentary, The Sun Also Rises. This documentary is set to screen on the eve of that release at Alamo South Lamar. The Sun Also Rises is directed by Tyson Zoltan Heder and documents the history of the bands that came together to form Folk Core and how they turned Losing a Loved One into really incredible music. This is a new East Cameron Folk Core single, In the House Everything Dies.
you can see Covered with a new coat of paint Tiles littered with the bleach stains To cover up the blood stains That liberty's love is used for their meat Horses drinking from the record independent film on this episode there's nothing like having a strange and ferocious backyard movie screening complete with the projector and PA system out in the well-behaved suburbs yes the cops did show even with having most of the neighbors there at the screening everyone scrambled hopped the fence even the adults it was wild lots of felonious mom and dads out there in Cedar Park and I'm just kidding no nobody ran it was a really cool event Cops only showed up in the last few minutes of the screening, but it was nice and loud. Let's talk to Adam Minnick about that. You want to do some, you want to perform any karaoke right now? I'm growing hungry. Yeah, I just had to get that in there. Get that, get that karaoke jab in there. So, do you have, do you have any friends in music? Or anyone that's, uh, that's in a band out in Austin or, or, or somewhere else? A lot of my buddies are musicians, actually. Um, all the filmmakers I work with are also in bands. Believe it or not, we all kind of met playing music. I'm from a small town where you're either a farmer or a musician. Okay. And, what are you listening to lately? Oh, lately. I've been, it's weird. I've been kind of going back. I've been listening to um, a lot of Silkworm, and I'm always always uh, revisiting Elliot Smith. I have never heard of Silkworm. You want to, you want to talk about that for oh, a second? Oh, dude, they're awesome. So they're, they're, they started in Seattle just after the big Seattle boom, and then they moved to Chicago. And they're a three-piece. Steve Albini was their biggest uh, cheerleader in Chicago, so he would record their records for free. And they were an up-and-coming three-piece, incredible, incredible sound, and un- they had a tragic uh, event to take the life of their drummer. So i got to talk about these stadium seats that you have in your music room right here. And I haven't sat in it yet, but you know, tell me about these Detroit stadium seats. Definitely. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and have for the last... 10 years, but I'm originally from Michigan. So my childhood was following one of the worst teams in the, uh, in the major leagues, which were the Detroit Tigers, after their 80s run, which was uh, which were the glorious days. So like the Trammell and Whitaker days. Uh, back at the old Tiger Stadium, when that was still the uh, stadium in Detroit. And they demolished that um, stadium in, and opened Comerica Park. So I had them shipped out to Austin. 
Do you sit at them quite a bit? All the time. As a matter of fact, we'll watch games on that television on the opposite side of the room. Yeah, perfect for game day viewing. Yeah. That's that is perfect. What are you doing in the in the film industry right now? And you know, kind of talk about how you how you got into that and your ambitions in in film. So I'm 36 years old now, and 20 years ago, uh, I met kind of a kindred spirit in in art and film named Joel Petrikas. Uh We were in, like I said, we were actually we met at a battle of the bands. My band was against his band and two other bands. Um, neither of which won, by the way. We both lost. Uh, and uh, we became friends after that, playing music and making uh, films in high school together that he would write, and I would either act in them or help him out, you know, in any way I could. We ended up going to film school together. He was one year ahead of me, uh, or two, actually two years ahead of me, and uh, I moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he was going to school. And uh, I started my stills photography degree, and we were roommates. Uh, So he was on the directing motion picture side of things, and I was on the stills side. And I took off to Colorado a year later, um, finished my photography degree, and uh, moved back to Michigan, you know, a couple times, a couple failed times, and uh, never, never really worked in the in the art art industry at all. Couldn't couldn't sustain myself in Michigan. So moved to Austin eventually. Um, Joel was working all these uh, his uh, Joel was working all these temp jobs and not not sustaining himself as a filmmaker at all either. But he never let the fire go out for him. And I kind of uh, I kind of gave up on art after a while and moved to Austin for an opportunity to make make some money in the tech field. And interestingly enough, one of Joel's films as he kept making films. Uh, in 2012, he won Best New Director at the Locarno Film Festival uh, for his first f- uh, full-length feature film called Ape, which is a, a great film, and they loved it over there. It got him some major accolades, uh, played all over Europe and then all over the United States, uh, including like AFI and all these crazy festivals. Um, so when he had that notoriety and we started to make it he was going to make another film he decided he wanted a a director of photography to actually shoot his next film not not shoot it himself he wanted to focus on directing and on the performance of the actors um and he felt that you know the camera doing all all of that plus the camera would be too cumbersome so he called me up and asked me to uh to join him on the next one which i originally hesitated and said I didn't think I could do that because I had a, a little a little kid. And eventually we talked it through and made it happen. So I, I went up to Michigan and we shot a film called Buzzard. And uh, that had its world premiere here in Austin at South by Southwest in 2014. And it went on to have its international premiere at Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland. And again, played all over Europe, all over the United States, maybe 25, 30 festivals here. And is now in the- is actually in theaters right now in 24 cities. A common thread in a lot of these movies, they're, I mean, they're kind of monster movies in a way, but with, well, you're not your normal average guy. Is that something that kind of ties a lot of these together? The tying thread is the angry young man is what Joel always says, the angry young man. And it's interesting, Buzzard and Ape are two parts of a three-part um, trilogy, of a trilogy, actually. And uh, <clears throat> the, the the first film is called Coyote, and it's a short film. It's a 20-minute uh, Super 8 film. Uh, one of the other tying threads is the lead actor in all three of these films. His name is Joshua Burge. 
there is no other connection as far as character, uh, you know, recur reoccurrence or anything like that. Um, there are some thematic elements that kind of come through in each of them, but mostly it's that angry young man on the fringe of society. Do you want to talk about camera work, what gets used uh, in different films, or what you need what you need for certain situations? I'll start by saying I come from a film, chemical film uh, background, celluloid. So when I was in photography school, I was in a dark room. And I, when I was exposing, I was, I was measuring contrast ratios of light using a light meter and uh, using very, you know, uh, not as sensitive uh, ISO settings as you can in today's digital world. Um, so I, I learned lighting in the, in the, from the film side of things. Um, now, shooting digitally, this is, we shot Buzzer digitally on a DSLR, and we're going to shoot uh, the next film on, on a, a much better camera, which is an Arri Alexa. Uh, uh, the, the capabilities to pick up ambient light can more accurately emulate what our eyes see. Like, for example, Ben, you and I can look into my closet right now and see shadows behind the records in my record collection, but then highlights that glimmer off the, the edges of those same things. Everything in between, um, like, a, like a what you'd call a blown-out highlight and then a black, black shadow, all those different ranges, like that range is known as dynamic range. The greater the dynamic range a camera has, the flatter the image can come out, and the more you can do with it in post to place all your shadows and highlights as needed. That is, the, I guess, the overall um, you know, goal of today's technology is to be able to get as close to um, or better than the human eyes' dynamic range. We, we can adjust to like, so many lighting situations instantly, and it's hard to get technology to get there. So a lot of times you have to fake it by adding lights, uh, subtracting lights, uh, you know, reflecting to, to let the camera expose and see differences in shadows that our eyes are so used to seeing, but a camera sensor doesn't have quite the capability to do so. The approach in shooting in Buzzard, I know that you guys were moving very quickly and, very, you know, very different um, from, you know, on a lot of sets where there's just, a, you know, a lot of setup and building. You were able to be more creative that way and just kind of get things and go and move. Guerrilla filmmaking. Uh, Joel's been called, what are they calling him? Well, they're calling him all kinds of things, but uh, one of the things is he's like, I don't know, some new king of guerrilla uh, independent filmmaking. Um, but that all comes from just the whole run and gun style, not getting permits, not dealing with um, uh, having people sign waivers because they're in our film, um, not asking for permission, period. Just getting to a bus station, setting up the shot early, having our actor put on a lapel mic and interact with real people and have that be the take. And some of the, some of the takeaway from that is, is garbage but some of it's in the film, and it's some of my favorite stuff. For example, there's a McDonald's scene that is one of my favorite sequences, and they had no idea we were shooting in McDonald's. We had zero permission. Um, my AC and I got up super early in the morning. I picked the lenses. I picked the, the place we're going to set up the camera. We did a sound test. I had him go order some food. I had the shot ready to go before Josh even entered, and we nailed that in one take, and it's an absolutely amazing sequence in my mind. So you get a little bit of everything with Buzzard. You get this slacker mentality of like just trying to feed off the system, kind of a vulture of society. Um, and, uh, but then you get paranoia and you get 
you get this running away and you get this lashing back and anger. Um, and I think that's been the, the thing that people kind of are gravitating toward with Buzzard. Um, we never expected that so many people would see it. Of course, that's everyone's dream is when, when you make art is that you can communicate and have people see it um, or hear it if you're a musician. Uh, and I think people gravitate toward all the different dynamics. There's really not a genre that you can put Buzzard in because it's it kind of cross-pollinates all those like you know with everything from horror to comedy to drama to you know straight up like you know whatever you can kind of think of you're gonna you're gonna i think at times it's scary at times it's absolutely hilarious and at times it's just kind of mumble ish and and at times it's very real i don't know it feels human from an aesthetic standpoint getting back to the cameras one of the one of the uh, requirements that Joel was pretty clear on he, was uh, he wanted almost you know ninety ninety eight percent of it was to be handheld with shallow depth of field um, and uh, and kind of feeling like this uneasiness kind of going on throughout the entire film where it's like an unstable situation and I think that the camera can kind of uh, I think it was successful sometimes in, in, in keeping, keeping the viewer reminded of that. Um, it, the camera plays a character um, as well. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's really, it's, its function is to hang out with the character, with the main character, and it is successful in that way. We've, we've gotten lots of good feedback on it. And I think the tool that we used, you know, with our budget, you know, the, the 5D Mark III, um, I think that was the right, the right call and uh the way we did it was very run and gun like you mentioned so let's talk about the music of the film and 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 soundtracks and uh how you know decision making process and that and you know just what you think about music in film joel's whole approach to music in his films uh including buzzard are is this you only hear music when the characters are aware of music and there's no score and there's no soundtrack but if let's say the character, uh, the lead character in Buzzard, his name is Marty, he puts on a set of headphones, you're going to hear what he's listening to. If there's ambient music in a room he's in, that's what you're going to hear. That, that's an old approach that, that other filmmakers have used, but Joel really drives that home. He's, he's against putting score to to, to kind of emulate. A, you know, if, if we can't get the feelings in the story across visually and with dialogue. Um, then we're not doing our job. Why, do we, why should we have to add someone else's music just, to, just for the hell of it in the background when it doesn't really exist in that world? Tell me about the Silvertone guitar right here. Yeah, I'm, I have a, a music room that we're doing our interview in, and one of my guitars is a 1964 um, Sears Silvertone. It's one of the amp-in-case models, and... It's based. Uh, Dan Electro made them. It had these old, um, these old lipstick pickups on them. Some of the first ones on the market, but they were fairly cheap out of the Sears catalog back in the day. But they're kind of a kind of go for boutique prices now. But my particular model came is the amp in case, which means that the case itself has all the circuitry and a speaker and all the tubes. Of a, it's a tube amp and it's a heavy ass case but you plug your guitar you open your case up and it stands up and plug your guitar right into it and it's got that beautiful silver tone sizzling sound now we have to follow through on silkworm so here's one 
This song's called Treat the New Guy Right. That night he found himself in a bright light that followed him around as he searched for a wife. Alone like a wandering Jew, she said, Who will protect me from you? It was only then they were playing the Just the start of a wild 